0: Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of FlightCast, the Infinite Flight Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosewell, and this is where we talk about the mobile flight simulator, Infinite Flight. If you're an Geek but you've never heard of Infinite Flight, then head on over to the App Store on your iOS device, or Google Play for Android and search for Infinite Flight. Links will be in the comments for this episode. Okay. One of the most exciting things to come to Infinite Flight for many of us has been live air traffic control. Whether you're in it for some fun on the Playground server, or you're working your way up to control on the advanced server, there's always something to learn. They say a good pilot never stops learning, and I would bet the same could be applied for air traffic controllers. Joining me on today's episode are three of our advanced server controllers who have real-life experience in air traffic control. First, from Santa Clarita, California, we have Michael Scholen. Thanks for being here, Mike. No problem. Uh, Next from Fort Myers, Florida is Tristan Hensley. Tristan, welcome. Thank you. And last but not least, we have a FlightCast regular installment from Valdosta, Georgia, Tyler Shelton. Welcome back, Tyler. Thanks. Good to be here again. All right, guys. Thanks for being here with me today. And uh, special thanks to Michael, who might be a new dad for the second time by the time this episode airs. Congrats, man.
1: Thank you.
0: I'm assuming that uh this hasn't happened yet since you're with us today.
1: No, uh, my wife actually just left and to go to work and she'll be right next to the hospital. So um, if I get a call I might leave.
0: So if you just disappear without saying anything, we'll know where you went.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well you know you'll know I'm at the hospital but not which one, I guess.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Well I'll just assume that you're not gonna continue the interview in your car.
1: Sounds good.
0: All right, well let's get into our questions, guys. Um, Like we did in our last episode with Arnote, we'll be trying to bring things back to infinite flight as much as possible, Uh, but I still want to get a good look into what it's like to be an air traffic controller. So let's start by hearing a bit from each of you on how you got started in air traffic control and where you're currently at with it. So uh, Michael, let's start with you.
1: Um, So my dad's been a controller, actually he was a controller, he's retired now, and he... When they had uh, open hiring out here in the U.S., I applied. And when you applied at that specific time, when you would apply at the location, so if you wanted to travel to every single location and put an application, you could, if they were having an open hiring. I applied in uh, Palmdale. A couple years later, got hired. Um, And then went to the uh, FAA school out in Oklahoma. Came back, worked, uh, trained for two years, and then I've been working ever since. Okay, so
0: when you say that you uh, can apply at every location, are you talking about um, like uh, different centers around the country?
1: Yeah, it was mostly, if not all centers. Um, There's 24 centers in the country here, and each one of them had an open hiring specific. Open hiring, open call, I guess, is what it was, um, on one or more specific days, and you would go on that specific day. Like if if it was today on a Saturday, nine twenty-six in Palmdale, you'd go there. Then maybe on Monday they'd have an opening in uh, Albuquerque. You could go there, you know. And and I I had some friends back at the school who. Worked for airlines, so they got to hop on flights and apply at each individual station.
0: Okay, and then do you had to, did you have to have any prerequisites or qualifications before you could apply at these uh, kind of open hirings?
1: Yeah, the base of it was um, you needed two years of college or three years work, progressive working experience, and they weren't specific about it, but just that you had moved along in your working whether you got promoted or I, I'm not sure if having the same job would work but um, and this could be whatever. any job yeah yeah okay. my my experience at the time was uh, McDonald's Old Navy and owning a car shop
0: okay so they want to see that you're uh, ambitious and that you uh, can hold a job
1: yeah 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 okay
0: awesome um, Tristan tell us about your uh, ATC journey
2: Well, uh, I started, um, well, I got interested in air traffic control. I was about 15 years old. Um, United Airlines used to allow you to listen to air traffic uh, um, as a passenger. And um, I was in a ground delay program at O'Hare, and I was sitting on the ground for about an hour and a half, and I listened uh, to the air traffic control, and uh, I thought it sounded pretty cool. So, uh, when I got home, I did a little bit of research on, uh, how one comes, becomes an air traffic controller and it looked like there was two routes, uh, college or military. And, uh, I was ready to be done with school, so I didn't want to go to college and did some research on, uh, the military and I decided I wanted to join the air force and, uh, joined the Delayed Entry Program for the Air Force. I think I was about 16 or 17. And uh, I, as soon as I graduated high school at 18, um, I uh, joined the Air Force and became an air traffic controller.
0: Okay, so can you explain for us uh, non-Americans what the Delayed Entry
2: Program for the Air Force means? Oh, well, what that means is... Um, Um, for instance, air traffic control is is a job in the Air Force that's uh, a little more difficult to get. And uh, people usually have to, they're almost on like a waiting list. And um, so if you want to actually wait for a specific job uh, like that, there's a a, a delay for you or you're on a waiting list before you can actually start. Um, You know, for me, it was about two years, but you can't actually join the military until you're 18. Maybe you can at 17 with your parents' permission or something. But um, as far as I know you, know, you have to be 18 years old. Um, and so I did that when I was about 16. And then by the time I was 18, it was a position ready for me. And I joined just a few weeks after I graduated high school at 18.
0: Okay, so if you already know what you want to do, that's a sure way to get your foot in the door.
2: Yeah, I think it's a great way to get in because when you get done with your military service, you're already experienced, and if you want to get a job as a civilian, you're not just fresh out of college, you actually have experience in the field. Great, so
0: um, just before I let you go on that, Tristan, what what was next after that? So you're in the the military uh, or the Air Force, I guess, and then uh, you're doing air traffic control, did you work for the f a a at all after that
2: yeah i started uh i just did uh tower uh air traffic control in the air force and then when i got out um the f a a hired me and uh there i i did tracon which is uh terminal radar approach control and tower um i i worked at two facilities uh in the f a a doing tower and approach i've never worked at a center like, uh, Michael does. Uh, so that, that's my experience is towering tower and radar.
0: Okay, cool. Um, and then Tyler, you've got, uh, I guess a s- more similar story to Tristan's than to Mike's. Why don't you explain w- where you're at right now and how you got there?
3: Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty similar to Tristan's with the delayed entry program, but my start was a little confusing because, um, I originally went to college for music. I was a trombone player, played for about 15 years. So I was studying jazz, got through about two years, and it wasn't working. So uh, really the next thing I was interested in was law enforcement. So I went to the police academy, which I think Tristan did
2: too, right? Yes, I did. I did go to the police academy a couple years ago.
3: So there you go. So we're on the same track here. So uh, I went through that, and getting a job was just impossible in Florida. I applied tons of different agencies, went through a lot of the hiring processes and stuff. And uh, so eventually I thought, okay, I'm going to join the Air Force. And when you join the Air Force, you take uh, a test called the ASVAB where pretty much just basic knowledge and that'll qualify you for a certain list of jobs. So uh, like Tristan did, I just did a lot of research and uh, air traffic was one of the ones that I really wanted to hold out for. So I went into the delayed entry program and typically they only give you about a year. So if, if you want a certain job, okay, you can wait for it. You're going to be delayed starting. But after a year, it's just kind of like, they're going to give you a job and you're leaving. Um, so Christmas day actually. And I was about a week away from hitting my year. They called saying that there was an air traffic job. So I took it and, uh, it's a pretty long process, but I just got my air traffic control rating in uh, July, July 28th of this year. So I am a brand new controller compared to the, uh, many years that these two have. Tyler's the baby controller. I am. I have a lot to learn. And yet, you've
0: been a huge part of helping create the ATC side of Infinite Flight. So um, you're not a baby air traffic controller in the game. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Not a terrible way to put it. Tyler, you're not a baby. Let me just uh, clarify that. I do Um, appreciate that. (laughs) No problem.
3: I I I think think he is.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, instead of uh, talking about that too much, um, (laughs) why don't we move on? It sounds like there are several different paths that you guys have taken to get into this line of work. Um, Mike, had you ever considered going the Air Force route uh, to get your foot in the door?
1: Yeah, it wasn't um, specifically Air Force related, but military. Um, I went to the Marine recruitment and... After I had talked to them and then I had talked to my dad who was in the Navy, um, he kind of talked to me out of everything because back when he went in, you know, they would offer you one job and they would give you another. And he, he said, you you know, he told me you really don't want to get stuck in that um, if it's not going to be what you want to do. So and after they started pressuring me, you know, I just kind of dropped it all together Um So I I guess, yeah, it wasn't specific to Air Force, but I had looked into the military.
0: Okay. So, uh, Mike, before I let you go here, um, you mentioned that uh, to me earlier that you're working on building new climb and descent profiles at your center. Um, Are you working on that exclusively right now, or is that in addition to your work as a controller? And maybe you can just explain kind of what that all means.
1: Yeah. Um, so there's a few approaches and centers who have worked together well, as, as well as the towers, um, in different regions who have built, uh, Metroplex programs that kind of optimize climbs and descents for the airlines so that they can save on money, you know, just, just a mile shortcut over the thousands of flights they do a day can be a big cost savings at the end of the year. Um, so it's come out to us now, and we have, to date, in the at least in the U.S. the largest um, program. I think we have, we're going to have somewhere like around 180 new SIDs and stars total um, throughout all the, the region. And we, for LA Center, we control. You know, it's kind of different than the game. We control the as a center from the uh, Mexico borderline over to about if you did a route line over to Vegas and straight down, and um, then we go up to the Bakersfield, Avenal, San Luis Obispo area, and then out to the ocean about 200 miles. So we have a lot more space than what's in the game that you see. Um, then we have more airports than what you see in there as well. So what they do is at the beginning, I did, I, I did not work um, for a while on the floor. They had to pull me off of the off the floor to go down to and meet with uh, SoCal Approach team members that we work with daily, and they would come up to us. We would go down to them week after week, building these routes and altitudes and tying them into new arrivals or to new uh, RNAV approaches. And now we're to the point where I'll work on it, you know, one day maybe two days a week, and I work the rest of the week. But since I'm going to, I'm transitioning to LAX. I'm actually turning that project over to somebody else at the center right now for my area.
0: Okay, so you you just mentioned that you're transitioning to LAX. So what does that mean? Tower frequencies. Um, what's next for you.
1: Yeah, um, a lot of studyings in my future. There's going to be, from what I've heard, it's one of the harder programs to pass. Um, They have about a 60% washout rate down there, so just, you know, everything, I've never really, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain when you explain to people that you're an air traffic controller at a center, but going to a a tower is a whole new ballgame, so I guess, I mean, one of the closest ways I can think about explaining it is say you're a a baseball player and you you play uh, in the MLB and all of a sudden uh, you decide, I want to be a basketball player. I mean, you're still an athlete, but almost nothing is going to match up. Well, in that
0: case, you might be Michael Jordan in reverse, right?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's possible if I can get through this program, we'll see what happens.
0: That'll be your new nickname on Slack, Jordan.
2: I,
1: I think it'll be a piece of cake for you. Oh, not. I don't. I really don't think it's going to happen that way. So, um, I like this. I like this kind of
0: chain of questioning. So, you kind of led into my next one. If when you did your when you applied at uh, Los Angeles Center, is that kind of an open door? into the FAA for you? And can you, tra- can you transfer back and forth? Uh, you know, say you're, you're moving across the country. Is that something that's possible or how does that work?
1: Yeah. So y- once you get into the FAA, um, they have a website and it's even the website now that somebody who wasn't or is not an air traffic controller could apply to as long as they meet the certain criteria that's published in each individual application. But, um, you know, once you're in, it's a lot easier to transfer throughout the system. They have a process called the ERR, which is an employee request for reassignment. So you essentially, you're asking to go somewhere else. Um, and then on top of that, they have bid offers where, let's say LA needed people. They might have a, a stack of papers of people who are in the ERR program who want to just transfer, but then they might need to open a bid and then they might get a new stack of people who are trying to apply because they see that the tower needs people. So it's a lot easier to move throughout the system um once you basically once you get in and get certified
0: um so Tristan, Mike is explaining kind of how he was you know the the system for moving from center to l a x tower. You mentioned to me before that you had uh, started in one place and then you ended up in Buffalo. Was it a similar transition for you? Once you're already working for the FAA, how did how did that work?
2: Well, when you before you get in the FAA, it's it's really hard to actually pick a facility. You just want to get your foot in the door. But once you're in, um, it's it's a little bit easier to move around. It's not common. Um, I didn't stay at one facility very long before I transferred. I believe there's probably a. A, a norm of you know a certain amount of years before you actually transfer. Um, I did mine a little bit quicker because I knew some uh, someone at another facility, and um, that's kind of how I transferred. I I don't think I used the uh, official way that uh, Michael had mentioned. Maybe you just greased somebody's palm
0: and that's how you got the job. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. <laughs> uh, if uh, Tristan, while I'm talking to you. Um, what are some of the differences between, uh, maybe differences in practice or procedure between um,
2: working for the FAA and doing air traffic control in the military? Well, um, technically, um, you know, all the rules are the same. The military, you know, they there's a federal aviation regulation. Um, it's called the seventy one ten point sixty five. It's titled the air traffic control, and the Air Force uses that, and they're bound by it, Um, but the Air Force also has another um, air traffic control uh, manual that is put out by the Air Force, and so air traffic control in the Air Force has two manuals that they need to to follow. So in some ways, um, the military does things a little bit different, and also sometimes they go... um, I don't want to say above and beyond, but they add some things that um, the FAA doesn't do. Um, the, the military may do something in addition to what the norm is.
0: Okay. Well, and Tyler, you've mentioned to me before too that you've, um, you know, you, you've got different training scenarios, right? Because I'm assuming with the military, you've got you're for the most part you're controlling uh, heavy cargo planes and fighters. Correct. So. Um, you've got to do training exercises in the dark, right? uh, which I I would assume that the FAA and guys, you, you need to, you need to coach me here, but the FAA would, um, have procedures for when the lights all go out, uh, in a power outage. But, um, Tyler, you're actually in there practicing for it on a regular basis, right?
3: Right. Correct. And, um, I mean, there's, there's really just kind of different procedures. I'm sure the FAA has, uh, procedures, uh, you know, for power outages or, you know, for no light procedures and stuff like that. But a lot of it is just base specific. Uh, we do a lot of like night vision operations at night, uh, not necessarily where the controllers will have uh, night vision goggles on, but we turn all the airfield lights off. So you're just looking out and it's pitch black. Uh, we turn down the tower cab lights and, uh, you just kind of trust on the position reports from the aircraft and use your radar. Um, and we have different rules for that, you know, like I know for our base, no more than four aircraft, um, flights would be considered a single aircraft and certain requirements for if there's a non-participating aircraft, uh, the lights have to be turned on before they're inside 10 miles. So just different stuff like that, that keeps it pretty safe, but still allows them to
2: accomplish the mission. Tyler, now you said something about lights out. are you talking about, like you guys don't have a generator there. At your facility, we do have a generator, but so there's what? still
3: there's like a backup to the backup. So there's procedures oh, in case there's a complete power failure, and for some reason the generator doesn't go from
2: commercial to generator power. I see. We I've lost power on a um, probably five or six uh, cases uh, when I was in the FAA, and um, everything would just kind of shut off for. Five or ten seconds, and then everything was back up with the generator. I I've I don't remember um, ha- having uh, additional training like what to do if the generator doesn't work. I don't know. Maybe Michael uh, has experienced that. Or I don't know what the center has as far as backup power or whatever. Yeah, we we
1: incur the same uh, the same thing that you did. You know, if the power goes out, like we've had a lightning uh, strike near the local power source, and then. The lights go out for, you know, ten seconds or so, but then they come right back on. Everything gets reset, except for you know, your scopes were never touched. Basically, the, everything's still running while that the power, the lights on the building are off. But um,
3: yeah,
1: I, yeah, I think it's pretty seamless now, too.
3: though. So,
0: Tyler, yeah. I would assume that your your guys are also your pilots are also training for, um, you know. Uh, no no light, no visual flying um when they're uh, uh, abroad as well
3: correct yeah they're, like when uh, they're off base yeah, everything they do is to prepare to prepare for i guess real world scenarios um so we've actually had a chance to look through their night vision goggles just to see kind of what they're looking at, man they're crystal clear like you can you can see everything out there I didn't think it would uh work as well as they described, but it's it's pretty cool. They do a lot of that out on the range. So when they're practicing shooting and stuff like that, um, they're just doing everything through night vision goggles. Mm. Okay.
0: All right, guys. So before we move this to Infinite Flight, um, the question that everybody wants answered is this one. We hear all the time that being an air traffic controller can be one of the most stressful jobs you can have. Um, I would assume that this largely depends on what facility you're working at and the nature of your position. So can each of you guys touch on that? Um, I, I'm You're saying, Mike, that the position that you're going to pretty soon, it sounds like that could be the case since there's a high turnover rate and a high flush out rate. So um, maybe, I don't know, maybe Tristan has the most experience in the in the high stress position. But can you guys talk about that a little bit? Who's first? not everybody at once. Um, let's go, let's go <laughs> with, order uh, here. yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Tristan, why don't you comment on that?
2: Um, well, the way that I see it is, um, I don't think it personally that it's a, a stressful job. Um, I've heard, you know, the same types of things where that people say that it is, but if you're working at a very busy facility, Um, The FAA has different facility levels. I think it goes up to a 12 or a 13, if I remember correctly. Um, But if you're at one of the busier facilities, there's more controllers. And so they they break them down into what they call sectors. So if you're at a a slower facility, your airspace or your sector um, may be quite large, where if you're working in a high-volume facility, your sector would be much smaller, so the amount of traffic you're working can actually sometimes be similar. You know, even if you're working, say, at um, O'Hare Tower or um, you know a facility that's nothing like working at O'Hare, they may have two um, local or tower controllers or two or three ground controllers. Where at other facilities, you know, there's not as much traffic, so there's only one person doing that position. So they do kind of um, they make it a little bit easier in that regard.
0: Okay, uh, Mike, can you comment on that?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, whenever you and I'm sure these guys have experienced the same thing, but whenever you say you're a controller, that's the first question that always comes up. And to me, I mean, when when you went through training or when I went through training, at least um, it was very stressful uh, day after day. You know, you come home and. You don't think you're going to make it through. And uh, you don't think that you're good enough for the job because you don't even understand what's going on. Um, and, but once you get a hold of everything and you understand the routes and the climb rates and, uh, you know, where your traffic spots are, you know, where you're most likely to have a, a deal or where, you know, two airplanes would come close to each other, um, you know, basically to me, it's just like any other job. To learn it is stressful because there's a lot of stuff to learn at every job. But once you're in there, I mean, it's just like second nature. And it's a lot of fun, actually.
2: (laughs) I want to actually add to that about, you know, I didn't really think about uh, the training aspect of it when when you were talking about, you know, the stress of it. And I certainly agree that um, whether it was Air Force training, and I'm sure Tyler can uh, talk about that too. When when you're in training, that can be very stressful. I've seen um, a number of controllers get washed out uh, in the military and in the FAA, and that that is that was certainly a, a stressful part of, of the the job. Uh, was just getting through training.
0: So, so, Mike, when you were talking about descent rates and climb rates, uh, have you ever had a pilot? Um, audibly frustrated with you because you asked them to make a turn that was a little too sporty or a, a descent or a climb that was unrealistic for them?
1: Um, I don't, you know, as far as climb rates and stuff, they're usually pretty just straightforward about, you know, we, we could do that or we can't do that. Um, the turns, you know, when they get vectored a lot, they definitely don't like that. Um, if, if it's once or twice, it's not a big deal. But well, sometimes they'll come, come back with comments because they come from uh, for our LA arrival sector. They come from Oakland Center, and you know Oakland Center is trying to pitch us a certain amount of miles and trail, and then we may or may not have to gain more space from that. So as they come over, they've already been vectored and you know speed adjusted, and we don't know specifically what kind of flow restrictions have been put on. Um, Oakland Center, we just know what we're required to give SoCal approach. So we might have to vector them for another, you know, gain another five or ten miles, and they'll come back with, like, little snotty remarks about, here we go again or something like that. But, um, you know, generally, they're all pretty good about it.
0: Uh, Guys, I like this question from Dale McLaughlin on uh, Facebook. Uh, He's saying, if you could control anywhere in the world... Uh, Is there an airfield that you'd particularly like to control and why?
3: Yeah, I think uh, as far as military goes, I've always wanted to go to Nellis Air Force Base, which is in Las Vegas, um, only because they do the red flag exercises every year. So you really get to see a good mix of of traffic. So, I mean, you have, you know, everything from fighters to heavies to tankers to commercial aircraft uh, coming in and out. Whereas a lot of bases, they're they're kind of restricted to just what they have there. I know at my base we have um, the A10, the C130, and the HH60, and then also A29s from an Afghani training squadron. So you really get limited to, you know, only those four aircraft. And sometimes that's all you see unless, you know, something special like people coming back from a deployment or people going away. That's when you start to see some of the heavies. But uh, places like Nellis, they get pretty pretty wide varieties of traffic on a daily basis, which is pretty intriguing to me. And when we see
0: videos on YouTube about, um, you know, some of the U.S. Air Force aircraft uh, training with their guns and stuff like that, is that, are they being deployed out of an Air Force base like Nellis, or is that from somewhere else?
3: Uh, they go from from really anywhere. Um, attached to our class Delta at our base, we actually have a range that fills up probably about half of the airspace, so I can look out the tower window right behind me and see the a-10s shooting rockets shooting their guns and everything else so the fighters and everything can be deployed from anywhere but places like nellis have a bit of a higher ops tempo where people are deploying more maybe compared to other places and Mm -hmm. they also have a a much bigger range to offer because they're right there at the desert so
0: right well tyler we actually didn't ask you about the stress level um question so now, I know there's days where you're everybody's deployed and you're, you don't have as much action, but um, are there any situations, uh, training exercises, real-life situations yet? I know you're pretty new to the job, but anything that kind of gets your heart pumping?
3: Um, yeah, I would say we'll go back and talk about training here in a minute. But for now, I would say the biggest thing that might be a little different from the FAA is in the military, there's what's called recoveries, and that's usually when just everybody comes back at the same time rather than a steady pace. So sometimes we launch all the aircraft and they'll go up, they'll do their training missions and we might sit there and not talk to anyone for an hour and a half, two hours. And then all of a sudden everyone is flashing on your scope and they're all coming back at the same time. And a lot of times they're all requesting, you know, the overhead pattern. One wants a straight in one, wants a high tactical recovery procedure, which is where they're, they'll be at like 10,000 feet over the field. And they just, just roll over and just drop straight down to the downwind from 10,000 feet. So a lot of it just happens at one time and you're trying to piece it together in this three-dimensional, you know, airspace. So for me, I would say that's probably the most stressful part of it, but, uh, I really don't see it as stress, more of kind of an adrenaline rush to me. And I'm sure the others would agree with that. That uh, causes me anxiety just to hear you <laughs> say that they're all coming in flashing on your radar at the same time, <laughs> but it's kind of fun. It's one big puzzle and, you know, you're giving traffic calls, sequencing people, letting them know, you know, kind of painting that big picture, like you're number two to the field, or, you know, that guy that's holding at 10,000 hold over the field, expect descent, you know, behind flight of two that are two mile initial stuff like that. It, it really just kind of paints that picture. And to me, it's pretty fun, but, uh, being newly rated and becoming an air traffic controller, I would say the most stressful part has been training. Um, I'm not sure how it is in the FAA, but I can guarantee that Tristan has gone through this too. Um, The Air Force has what's called skill levels. So when you're first starting and you're an air traffic control apprentice, you're what's called a three-level. And they pretty much refer to you as a three-level in the facility. Hey, three-level. And uh, (laughs) as a three-level, you're basically useless, and they let you know that. So you're going through training, um, and your day-to-day is you're like the facility janitor. So a lot of days you're sweeping and mopping the stairs. You're doing cleanup every day. Um, You do what's called chow runs so you're going out to restaurants and picking up everybody's lunches sometimes you like 15 orders, orders. okay yeah i I think we all operate on chow runs for sure this sounds like the position that we would assign dale if we were all kind of a group <laughs> oh jennifer <working> together <laughs> but uh so you're expected to you know get in position really know your stuff you had an issue the day before with sequencing like you get in the next day, that should be completely taken care of. So, you know, on a full day, you're doing the tower simulator, you're getting in position, whether it's ground control, local, which is tower or uh, flight data. And you're also doing these small side jobs in between. So a lot of it gets taken home and you're studying at home because you just don't have that time at work. Um, and it can be kind of sobering because some of your best friends, you know, you go through training and you do everything you can to help them, but it's, I mean the job just isn't for everybody so it, it does kind of suck to see some of your friends get washed out at times and I'm sure Tristan and Michael have you know, seen the same through their technical training or even once they got to their first facility
2: and I, I want to add on the chow run that um, I found the uh, three level job that the chow run was the most stressful because everybody's food had to be exactly as they ordered it that's way more important than air traffic control is the the way that their food is everything needs to be hot if somebody said no ketchup, there better not be ketchup on it
3: or it's- no seeds on the bun, so you got to pick them all <laughs> off in the parking lot
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: Wow, you guys are painting
0: such a fun picture for me and by the way, I'm you know as you guys know, I'm up in Canada uh, if I use the wrong word, you know military air force. Uh, I, I may use the word army at some point. Okay, don't we don't need to crucify the <laughs> podcaster here. You wouldn't be the first um, one to
2: do that. When you <laughs> well, say military,
0: have, people say army. It's like you know, if for any um, Arrested Development fans, uh, these are my awards, mother from Army. <laughs> <laughs> Throw in a little Buster accent. So, all right, uh, yeah, that may make it. It may not. Um, so back to let's get back to the where where do we want to control? So. Michael, you could, you're could you going to LAX, uh, but if you could pick anywhere in the world, uh, where do you find yourself?
1: Um, well, I chose LA because it's the top, as far as aircraft movement, I guess it's the top three. So, um, you know, if I make it there, my, my next uh, goal, which I would never actually be able to move there, but it would be Atlanta because it's been number one for the top five years. I and when you say
0: number one, is that one uh, the
1: last five it, years. that's number one in terms of traffic yeah, or in terms of it's quality? At least uh, from what I've seen, aircraft movement, based upon aircraft movement, um, they've been number one for the last five years.
0: Wow. And Atlanta's a major hub for, is it uh, American?
2: or?
1: I actually don't know because it's too far out from us. But uh, It's
2: okay. Delta. I think it's Delta, oh, Delta. and AirTran. Okay. Which okay. is now Southwest. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right. It's time
0: finally to bring this around after 45 minutes to (laughs) um, (laughs) infinite flight, um, which is, of course, why we're all here. And uh, so, Mike, you use, you're working at Los Angeles Center almost every day what makes you want to come home from a long day and then, you know, rock a little bit of ATC on a flight simulator? What, what is it that, about it that does that for you?
1: Well, one is, um, you know, I can work the tower, which, or the, even the approach, um, which is just like another level of, I don't, it's it's almost like playing a different game. You know, I, I consider going to work almost like playing a game. Um, I mean, essentially, that's what you're doing. You're just trying to fit pieces of puzzles together to make one big puzzle, you know, without screwing anything up. Um, But the other thing is, it's just another, it's like another challenge, you know, to be able to do it in real life when you have a microphone and you can talk directly to the airplanes is totally different than um, trying to find each little command on a screen. And, uh, and then get unable, you know, like more times than you've ever heard in your whole career out of one airplane, <laughs> uh, you know, and just trying to find like, okay, well, if you don't want to descend, how about you turn? Well, if you don't want to turn, how about you speed, you know, speed change. And then you finally, you know, either they finally listen to you or you find out they just don't want to listen to you and they, they leave your frequency. But, you know, it's just another challenge for me.
0: Well, Arnaud uh, asked the same, a similar question on Facebook last night or this morning when he said uh, something like, I don't have it in front of me, what, what are the most annoying things that you notice out of, um, oh, it was actually out of new air traffic controllers, so let's say somebody's been, uh, we won't of course name any names, but you've got your brand new controller on the advanced server um, they're not used to pilots actually listening to them for the most part on the playground server, um, unless, you know, you get lucky sometimes. But, um, you know, what are the things that I guess you guys see that drives you crazy um, in terms of maybe pilots or air traffic controllers in-game? I'd like to go first on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Justin. we don't have 50 minutes for this, okay? So try and keep it brief. <laughs> okay, I'm watching the clock. Uh,
2: the The only thing that I, that bothers me a little bit is... Um, and, and this comes from, from doing air traffic in, in real world, I don't like uh, undue delays. Um, th- sometimes some of the newer controllers, you know, they say someone's, you've got a line of uh, aircraft that are departing and, um, you know, you, you're waiting for, to get people departed after, you know, every time someone lands, one's departing and and I'll watch and they're kind of a little bit slow to put someone into position and hold or when someone's, departed, they're waiting way too long to have the next one depart. And it's just a little pet peeve of mine personally, uh, just from real life. I mean, you get people going as quick as you possibly can um, without making them sit on the runway or holding short of a runway for too long.
0: Well, that's something that we look for uh, when we're starting out uh, a candidate when we're testing, right? The very first thing we do, Is request pushback. So there's, it's a little nerve wracking because there's a lot of us sitting there maybe on the tarmac, um, which I just learned actually the word tarmac is an American thing. But uh, (laughs) that's that's a little side note. Um, So we're sitting there at the terminal and we request pushback. That's a pretty simple thing to be able to execute as a controller. Um, You know, as as Mark pointed out in one of our in our group chat. Uh, you know, congratulations, you did really well at logging into the tower frequency <laughs> and ground frequency, but there's more to it, right? So let's get beyond that, and I've requested pushback, and I'm not hearing anything. So, you know, there's the odd time where the controller's having connection issues. A lot of the time, they're just sitting there nervous as heck, and they're sweating, um, and, you know, we've all been there. I I had nervous sweats in my test. You know, it's just it's nerve-wracking. You want to do well. You want to be a part of the crew, Uh, and, uh, you know, it's happening and people are watching. So, um, you know, quick commands are super important and that's the first thing that we look for in in our test.
3: Right. And I think, uh, going off what Tristan said is the, just expediting the whole flow. A lot of times people, when there's a huge line of departures, they'll depart the first guy and then tell the next one to line up and wait. But then you get this huge delay before the next takeoff clearance. When a lot of times, as soon as that first guy is rolling, just clear the next guy by the time he gets on the runway and starts rolling himself you have more than enough separation you know so sometimes that lineup and wait isn't always useful now line up and wait if you had a cessna 208 depart with an f16 behind it okay i'm gonna line up and wait build some space wait for the cessna to turn off something like that and then launch right away but a lot of times that unnecessary space it's gonna do you way more harm than good and the same can be said for arrivals you know if you have aircraft on the downwind and they're following someone on final when you say i'll call your base and you send them 10 miles behind that guy you just loosened up your pattern to the point where you know they're going to be overflowing for 20 miles before people are turning base mm-hmm. so yeah
0: and you know line up and wait can be one of your best friends as you're uh, controlling on a tower frequency um, like Tyler is saying, because it, and it's not always appropriate, of course, um, but that's one of my favorite buttons because you've got somebody who's on their takeoff roll. We don't have to worry about jet wash or um, you know even weight turbulence in this game yet, so you know, line up and wait, get the other person on the runway ready to go if your incoming traffic is still you know more than what up what would you guys
2: say five nautical miles away? Six I. I'd say it it depends on the the performance. You know, if you've got a Cessna 172, uh, (laughs) you know, then that's on final or you've got a, you know, like Tyler mentioned, you know, a fighter, you're going to adjust that. And and you're also going to look at their ground speed on on the um, radar to to figure out what's the safe distance to um, get another aircraft departed before they land.
3: Right. And I think Tristan and I talked about this on the phone this morning, actually. I think our separation standards for real life compared to infinite flight are completely different. I mean, we have really specific, you know, IFR departure rules and category separation, weight turbulence separation on the instrument approach and stuff. But I mean, for me, uh, I'll cut it pretty close. Three miles is maybe my cutoff. As long as that departure is airborne before the next guy crosses the landing threshold, then, or, you know, if the, the arrival is off the runway before the next guy crosses the threshold... I mean, it's it's good to go as far as I see it. Yeah, and
0: it can be it can be actually a pretty fun exercise to try and do what you're describing, Tyler. And you know, if all else fails, if somebody's got to sit on the runway for a little extra longer, and we don't know why, maybe they're having device issues or something. A go around isn't the end of the world, um,
3: and actually, yeah. you know, it gives the pilot a little bit more flight time. Although we do get blasted for that once in a while. Exactly, I prefer a go around over extending downwind for ten miles for no oh, for
2: reason. Sure. Uh, Tristan, tell us how you got involved with Infinite Flight. Well, I think I went on the um, App Store uh, with Apple and I just, I searched um, Flight Simulator and um, that was one of the ones that came up and I looked at some reviews uh, for Infinite Flight and um, I downloaded it and um, I immediately liked it and uh, within probably three days of downloading it, I had... Bought the live plus subscription because I wanted all the aircraft and all the airports and um, from there uh, I found the, um, the fan group on Facebook and I joined that and um, that's how, how I got involved with the air, air traffic. I probably mentioned to somebody that I was a, an air traffic controller and um, that's how I got involved with the air traffic site on Infinite Flight 2.
0: And uh, what's your favorite position to control in the game?
2: Well, I like tower because I get the extra operations, um, <laughs> but the, the position that I find to be the most fun is approach control because you really have full control of you know where aircraft are going. You can have everybody lined up, the exact spacing that you want. And in the tower, you don't have as much control. You can kind of just a generic uh, speed control control that you use in the tower or, you know, you're sequencing who they're following. You can't really tell them exactly, you know, how many miles to to be behind the aircraft in front of them. It's kind of up to the pilot. And so it's, I like tower and approach, but uh, um, I, I like approach the best, I think.
0: And as we talk about how we got started with the game, um, Tyler, you've, you've explained this to us in a previous episode how you kind of got started and it, for any listeners who are curious to know about that that aren't sure what we're talking about go back and listen to episode one where i interviewed tyler um and he tells us all about how he kind of got involved in the game and what his current uh, position is but actually dude you've got uh you've been promoted since then to a- an
3: actual real job um can you share that any of that with us yeah um it's it's been in the works uh, for quite some time now i've just been doing A lot of work on the air traffic side, Uh, obviously it started back in the kind of earlier beta stages where Matt and I collaborated on a lot of the, you know, what should be introduced to this and, you know, how the system should be set up to, I guess, best fit infinite flight. And it's just kind of grown from there to where I've kind of taken over as a bit of a community manager um, for the air traffic control side, being there to answer questions, kind of keep the whole controller group organized with a little bit of structure and kind of procedures and some guidance on, you know, how do we handle ghosting? How do we handle, uh, different events and protocol, stuff like that. So eventually just kind of evolved to me being hired, uh, with flying development studio as a air traffic control community manager. So now when you're sitting there in your tower with nothing to do,
0: you can just plan infinite flight stuff. (laughs) Right. Of course, no devices in the tower. <laughs> of course, no device in the tower. We know that you're not taking pictures for us or anything like that behind the scenes. I we don't never... want any. Uh, we don't want any commanding officers to be uh, listening in and hearing the wrong, getting the wrong idea. Exactly. Um, Mike, can you tell us a little bit about how uh, you got involved with Infinite Flight? If you haven't already abandoned us for the hospital.
1: Yeah. So mine was a lot like uh, Tristan's. Um, I but. I, Mine was, uh, I was out on vacation, not really vacation. I took a fan flight, which is, you know, I got to sit in the cockpit and take a flight out, um, for learning purposes with the FAA on uh, a flight to Hawaii and went out there was, was hanging out. And I'm like, okay, I want to, uh, you know, I had this new iPad and I was like, let me check out, uh, some kind of flight game. So, you know, Infinite flights, one of the first ones that comes up, and I read all the different reviews, and I decided to pick Infinite Flight because they talk about, you know, I don't know, maybe based off the reviews, I don't remember, but I spent, I think, all f- four days I was out there on the balcony flying airplanes. <laughs> so, You're in Hawaii. You're in Hawaii. I'm in Hawaii and I'm <laughs> flying airplanes on an island. That
0: sounds so ridiculous when you say <laughs> it out loud.
1: The porch or the the. The balcony was, like, facing the ocean, so I felt like I was getting the best of both worlds. (laughs) Did you have some kind of a fancy drink in your hand, at least? (laughs) No. No. No uh, (sighs) no drinking while flying. You know that.
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. Depends on what time of day it is, I guess. Exactly. Uh, So, guys, do you have – Tyler, we know that you're on your way to uh, getting your PPL at some point soon – um, you know, I've got that in my five-year plan. The uh, for Tristan and Mike, uh, any plans to? Uh,
2: first of all, are you pilots? Uh, do or do you plan on being? Um, I have a few flight hours, um, but I actually don't enjoy flying. I enjoy being a passenger in any type of aircraft. I like the scenery, and when I was doing my um, pilot training, there was too much. Um, focus on, oh, look at this, look at your turn coordinator, look at, I I didn't want to look at gauges, I wanted to look out the window and see what I could see.
0: You like that kid, you like the kid playing
2: baseball, the six-year-old playing baseball who's like building sandcastles in (laughs) in the outfield. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I had no interest in in what they were trying to teach me, you know, as far as the flying went, but I I love being in aircraft, I love flying, I just don't want to focus on that, I'd rather be focusing on the scenery. You know, I appreciate a pilot with the,
0: enough self-awareness to realize that before they get too far into the game.
2: <laughs> um,
0: Mike, what about you?
1: Um, I've gone up a couple times just with my dad, who had, who had a couple planes and has since sold them. But, um, I mean, I rarely went up with him. But I do have about 45 minutes in a 737 at the Southwest sim, uh, flight simulator. So that was fun.
0: Nice. Okay, so uh, I like it. There's varying degrees of interest in being a pilot, being air traffic control. I have no interest whatsoever at this time in my life in pursuing air traffic controlling, but um, obviously I get my fix by playing Infinite Flight. Um, all right, let's move along a little bit. Well, guys, we got to uh, speed it up a little bit. We've been chatting for a while now. So let's. I want to get to some um, fan questions. But before we do, Tyler, real quick, we discussed... What would be what you'd like to see next for ATC and Infinite Flight? Um, You've been a big part, as we've said, of the evolution of the ATC portion. Is there anything you can share with us at this point in terms of what's coming next for air traffic control development um, with uh, Matt and Felipe and those guys?
3: Yeah. um, Really, what I look for is just what all the controllers want. Not it's really not what I want too much. Um, I I would like to see more flight planning. So where you can actually file an altitude or a speed and stuff Mm. like that. That way, whenever you're you're being passed a center, they can see what you filed and stuff like that. But um, through our air traffic communications, we actually have a little suggestion box where people can add stuff in. So the biggest hits right now are holding patterns. So a lot of times when you're out there flying and you're like, why am I being vectored away? They're actually trying to hold you. So holding patterns are a big one. Um With the last update, you see that now we have uh, GPS approaches that were available with the auto land. So we're hoping to get around to adding uh, GPS approaches um, in, at fields where there's no ILS. And even down to small things like when you check in with um, when you check in with center approach, whenever you say with you, Instead of us just saying Roger, would be radar contact, so it's a little more realistic. So these are all just suggestions that I channel up. Uh, nothing definitive right now, but I know Matt definitely wants to work on some things to make it a lot more realistic for us. I wonder who the brilliant person with the uh, radar contact suggestion was. Uh, I'm not sure. He's, he's pretty annoying. I
0: Maybe. think he does.
3: Uh, I think he does podcasts or something on the side.
0: <laughs> Man, my subscription just <laughs> renewed, and I was like, Matt, you got to hook, you got to hook your favorite podcaster up with a subscription. Did he no hook dice. you up? No, he didn't hook me up. <laughs> I have to pay just like all the rest
2: of you guys do. Nice. Um, Tyler said but, something that I really liked about um, the uh, altitude. Uh, request that has been something that's that's bothered me a little bit uh, from having experience in, in real world, you know. And, and Tyler working in the tower, he he sees, uh, you know, every aircraft has a flight progress strip, and and if they're flying IFR, it has their requested altitude on there. The center sees it too. But in infinite flight right now, um, we as an approach controller, a center controller, we're kind of guessing what the pilot wants and in a lot of cases you issue an altitude and then you know they say you know so and so is requesting this altitude but it it was just because we had guessed it but if we had something that told us what that pilot wants to cruise at the altitude they want to cruise at it would be less communication or, or less uh frequency congestion and you know we would know right away where where they want to be flying at
0: awesome it might have been Ian Rodriguez on Facebook, um, Mike, that asked, um, "How does controlling an infinite flight? So, let's say working at LAX Center um,
1: compare to the real thing." Um, I mean, there's a pretty huge difference. I mean, it's, it's like moderately the same, but um, I always, I'm always having to train myself to learn to, you know, mold myself to infinite flight when I come in for the uh, Friday night flights. And then sometimes I find myself having to re-transition myself back to work mode, um, which becomes a becomes a problem for me. I used to uh, play infinite flight on breaks, but you know, just the smallest um, errors in work will bother me. So I decide, eh, you know, I don't I don't want to cause any issues. But um, you know, things like people being on full stars, giving them crossing restrictions. Um, and these are things that Tyler's built into the Friday night flights, but, you know, crossing restrictions where you just give them an altitude restriction and then they know the speeds along the arrival, um, you know, things that they're talking about, like preloaded altitude requests, um, and being able to put people in hold, um, are all kind of, you know, we don't, as infinite flight controllers, we don't specifically know what every aircraft wants to do, especially when they check in VFR at flight level 260. Um, So, so, I mean, things like that uh, are really, you know, it's like, this guy is flying south. I think he's going to San Diego, but, you know, he refuses to respond to me. So, you know, just stuff like that Um, on a day-to-day basis. There's so much information in, in real world controlling that you you know pretty much everything you know their planned uh, ground speed you know their planned altitude you know the exact routing they want to fly you can give them a shortcut to a fix instead of giving them a heading uh they have windows to depart they have you know sequencing to land there's there's a whole bunch of things and a lot of times while i'm controlling i'll come up with ideas in my head of oh i need to suggest this or that and as soon as I'm done with the session, you know, like especially after the Friday night flights, my brain's just so fried from all the different vectors and unables and all that different stuff that um, I forget what I wanted to suggest. <laughs> yeah. No,
0: I'm the same way. I'll, and, you know, sometimes I might find what I think might be a bug or something. And then by the time I'm done my flight, I don't even remember what it was um, or the, my controlling session. But, um, you know, that says a lot, I think, about your passion for what you do um because you know how many of us can say in our in our daily jobs that we're going to take a break and go do the exact same thing on a on our device you know like i i don't sit here coding a website and then decide i'm going to take a coffee break out on my patio and do some coding for fun <laughs> You know, there's sometimes where I'm so absorbed in, in the job that I'm working on that I might work through my break, but it just, it's, I think it's really cool that you can, uh, you, you love the field that you're in so much that, you know, I'm going to sit down on my break and, and pretend to do the same thing. Um, but guys, let's take a few listener questions. Um, unless, does anybody want to add to that before we move on?
1: Yeah. It's funny when I go on, when I used to go on break and play in the, in the break room and people would come down and they started. To know that I was playing the game because they would hear control instructions coming out of this iPad and <laughs> they tell me you know they pay you to do that exact same thing upstairs <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah it would seem it would seem kind of strange and in fact I'm, I'm I, I tell people that I run a podcast and they say I didn't need you to did a podcast what do you what is it about And that's when I go, oh, I shouldn't have told this person that I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me start by saying this is probably the nerdiest thing you've ever heard in your life, but here it goes. And some people surprise you and they go, no way, that's amazing. I'm going to go listen to it. Or some people that just laugh right in my face. So you never know. At um, least they're honest. At least they're honest. Those are how you know your true friends, right? That's they can right. just laugh in your face. Um, but anyway, guys, let's move on to some uh, listener questions. We Tossed it out there on Facebook again, and for any listeners who aren't sure what I'm talking about, you can uh, definitely follow uh, and like uh, FlightCast on Facebook, and uh, we'll talk about some other things at the end of the episode um, that you can do to track what we're doing, but also uh, I post all the time on Infinite Flight Fan Group. so if you're not a member of IFFG, uh, I'm sure Jay and all those guys would love it if you would go and become a member. And there's lots and lots of Infinite Flight uh, talk and chatter on there, as well as lots of screenshots. So if you're just jonesing for a screenshot of uh, a pretend airplane, that's the place to go and take a look. So uh, our friend Ryan has asked, uh, would you guys recommend being a real-life air traffic controller? Um, Let's start with
3: Tyler. Tyler. Uh, me personally, I would say absolutely. I think it's it's honestly the most fun I've ever had, and I go to work and I get paid to do it. So you really can't beat it. And for me, I don't like the idea of getting complacent in a job where you go and it's the same thing day after day, which I'm sure Tristan can agree that might be the same thing that led them towards law enforcement because no two days are the same. Um, but with air traffic control, you go into work and you know every day there's there's a binder in the tower. has new procedures that are put into place. So, you know, right when you're comfortable and you're like, oh, okay, I understand how to do this. Well, now there's a new procedure and everything's totally different. So So, maybe Tristan, you can comment on that. Um,
0: you're, you've moved from air traffic control to law enforcement and now into, uh, getting your law degree. So how do you see, uh, you know, would you recommend air traffic control to anybody?
2: Absolutely. Um, if, especially if it's somebody who, um, loves aviation, Um, I think it's a um, it's a great career. Uh, It pays well. And um, and on many days, your day will fly by. I mean, there's days that that traffic is really slow and and the day goes by slow. But there's other days that you could put in eight hours and um, you feel like you've been there for a half hour or 45 minutes because you were just so busy and the time just flew by.
0: And what about you, Mike?
1: Yeah, I think uh, how could you not recommend being a controller when you are one, unless you absolutely hate the job. But um, I love doing this, and you know, obviously, otherwise I probably wouldn't jump on it. Infinite, infinite flight, ATC. Um, but you know, as long as your personality can hold it, if you're an uptight person or easily stressed out, you know, maybe you don't want to. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't stop. Let that stop you from trying.
0: Cool. So, Ian and Erwin uh, both wanted to know: Have you guys ever had to respond to a real emergency situation before? And if so, can you describe uh, how it was handled?
2: I'm gonna go uh, first. Oh, go ahead. All yours. Oh, that was that was mean. We need to delete that. <laughs> <laughs> go uh, for it. <laughs> well, I actually at Milwaukee, um, we had a, a Midwest regional jet that um, they had smoke in the flight deck. Um, and it was in the cabin also and uh, that aircraft came in and apparently the visibility on the flight deck was pretty bad and, um, you know, we had all the emergency vehicles and um, stuff like that and they all evacuated on the runway um, at Milwaukee uh, from that little incident and, you know, as a controller, you deal with emergencies Almost on a daily basis. Um, When I was in the military, some of them were kind of silly, but uh, the military or these airlines have uh, rules about what's an emergency and what's not. and, And sometimes, you know, they're just required to declare an emergency, even though you may not agree that it's an actual emergency.
0: Okay. And just as a side note, do any of you guys know, uh, like in that situation, maybe Tristan you might know, uh, would that be um, in, a, in a regional jet, can they do a Cat 3 um, auto land if they don't have any visibility in the flight deck?
2: Well, the the only aircraft um, that I know, uh, first of all, the airport has to have the proper equipment for a Cat 3 oh, right. uh, landing. And um, the only aircraft or airline that I know of that has, the pilots have the training the aircraft has the the training would be frontier airlines uh their 319 airbus 319 i think it is uh and the pilots have to be certified the aircraft has to be certified and the airport has to be certified so there's a lot of uh rules to do that sort of um, approach it's it is certainly possible and i've seen aircraft do it before um, but it's it's certainly not common
0: okay and i guess that would be different in the states um in and, and different parts of the world as well um all right let's get to the next question uh oh actually tyler you were going to talk about an emergency i think
3: yeah um like like tristan was saying it's it's almost daily but for the military especially dealing with fighters it's um and a fighter that's as old as the a10 they have what's called a hung gun every day which is where they're out on the range shooting their gun and it fails to safe. So they can't put it back in safe mode. Or sometimes there's just a round stuck in there. So we, they actually come back and they have to land and they'll point the jet towards the gun berm and the fire department, everyone else will go out there and, uh, the weapons specialists, and they'll try to safe the gun. And for us, that's almost like a daily event, but, uh, it can be kind of a, kind of a pain sometimes because it typically happens at the worst possible time. So um, like when you're trying to pick poppy seeds off of a bun in the parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's it's always during a recovery. So when everyone else is coming back and then obviously emergencies have right away over everyone. And after that emergency lands, it suspends the runway. So you have to wait for the airfield vehicle to come out and do a uh, pretty much foreign object or debris sweep. FOD sweep so that we can resume operations on that runway so for us having parallel runways anytime that emergency comes in during a recovery you're now down to one runway
0: that's another great use for a level 3 air traffic controller you know just have them (laughs) stick their arm in there and see if they can find anything (laughs) I I wouldn't be surprised if they started to do that (laughs) they would they would All right, let's keep going. Oh, Mike, did you have anything to add to that? Uh, Center's got to be a whole different scenario in terms of emergencies because people are at cruising altitude for the most part, yeah?
1: Yeah. um, We've had, you know, engine out, smoke in the cockpit from, uh, we had one smoke in the cockpit from Hawaii and they, uh, we worked them outbound. They turned around because they started getting smoke in the cockpit and then they decided, that it was best to, you know, obviously it's best to turn around. And we sent him in to uh, Los Angeles on seven left, I think. Seven left or right. It ended up being on the news later that night, and I didn't know, but I went home and, you know, I was at my in-laws that night. And uh, like, oh, hey, how that guy? <laughs> That's cool. And
0: nobody would ever know. Yeah, no. You guys get uh, all of the stress and none of the glory.
1: Well, yeah, but then the... Uh, the towers, you know, get the worst made of everything. It seems like.
0: Well, and uh, yeah, and I guess you're about to find that out pretty soon.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll have to have another. Actually, let's plan to uh, have another chat with you when um, when you're finally working at uh, LAX Tower.
1: Yeah, get. Let me get through training first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I <laughs> think uh, it sounds like you'll be a shoe in.
3: No pressure. No
1: pressure.
0: All right, guys, let's keep going. Uh, there's been some discussion in the community uh, on how many hours you can work in a row as an air air traffic controller. So, um, again, I think I've got to assume that this is uh, different um, from the military and uh, FAA perspective. So can you guys clear this up for us? Let's start uh, with you, Mike.
1: Yeah, um, currently for the FAA, the restriction is 10 hours in a day. Um, Six days, no more than six days in a row. And between a night and a day shift, you have to have nine hours in between those two. Between a day and a night shift, you have to have eight hours. And if you exceed any of those limits, um, you go non-op, which is basically you have to have a day off, uh, 24 hours off, until you can be recertified or I don't know what they specifically call it, but be able to work traffic again.
0: So why would you exceed that if if you've been dealing with an emergency or something and you just, it would be silly to
1: leave your post? Well, for us, it's usually, um, you know, maybe somebody overlooked the schedule. They accidentally gave you a, let's see a one to nine shift. And then you came back at like five instead of six. Mm, Um, yeah. Or if you, yeah, so it, w- it would be something like that. You know, you accidentally had too many overtimes or something. One overtime at the beginning of your work, work week and one at the end of your work week, something like that.
3: Okay. Uh, and what about you, Tyler? The military is a little bit different for for our shifts. We can work uh, no more than twelve hour shifts, but ten of it can be controlling and two hours of it can be administrative. Okay, so we you're still have- bound by the ten hour rule. Exactly, um, but they can keep us for that extra two hours to do paperwork. But in between every shift we're required a twelve hour turnaround. So not eight or nine. we have to so irregardless of you know whether if it's a night to a day or a day to a day, it's still twelve hours in between every shift. And then six days and after that six days you would need a day off. Um, Tristan, you asked
0: your own question on IFFG, so I'll let you answer it. (laughs) Uh, And your question was, do you ever get bored with your job? Let's uh, just get a quick answer for that one.
2: No. No.
0: Good. Um, (laughs) Justin wants to know, what is your best ATC story?
2: Anything that stands out to you? Tristan, you've got to have something. Of course I do. Um, I, actually, I was talking to Tyler about it, uh, this morning when we were talking on the phone. Uh, this was at Milwaukee that they, they have an area that's called a hotspot, which means, you know, something bad can happen there. Something can be overlooked by a pilot or, uh, controllers need to be kind of focused on that area because, um, it, maybe it's confusing. It could be a large area of, of concrete that, um, it just looks to be confusing and i had two um aircraft cross a runway there in in that hot spot um and at one point um it was a a fedex um heavy jet that uh crossed the the runway um and there was a midwest airlines i think it was a 717 that was departing and it had actually just started uh departure roll and that FedEx heavy just started to cross uh, onto the runway, and uh, I just yelled into the mic, "FedEx, stop!" And um, he did. I didn't use this call sign, and, and "stop" is not uh, any official phraseology, but it seemed like the best thing to say at the at the time.
0: Right? I we I think some of us spend uh, our, our time, some of our listeners uh, from time to time, listening to liveatc.net or, uh, ATC kind of, I guess you'd call them highlights on YouTube. Um, and there was something, someone similar, um, there was a runway incursion and I think he just, same thing. He yelled into his mic, um, something along the lines of cancel takeoff or something. And I don't know if that's even the right. Yeah, that's
2: actually, that actually is the proper phraseology. If somebody was to, you know, it would be "cancel takeoff, clearance, hold position, something like that. Um, But uh, depending on the severity of the situation or how fast something needs to happen, you know, you say what you need to say to make it happen immediately. I mean, the last thing you want to do is have two aircraft go into each other.
0: Right. That would be the main goal of the entire thing, I would think.
2: (laughs) Exactly. It doesn't matter what your phraseology is. Just
0: everyone stop. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Any other great
3: stories before we continue here? I'm too new to have any good stories yet. Yeah, I have a
2: lot of Chow Run stories, but we can say that. Okay, will do that's a, that's a whole other <laughs> episode. Um, I, I, I'll throw one more in, in, into here, which it was actually when I was in the Air Force. They they had a big thing uh, um, when I was doing uh, air traffic in the Air Force, and it was always you don't um, allow an aircraft to do a low approach behind uh, an aircraft doing a touch and go. And I don't know if if that's something that Tyler. Uh, was pushed uh, when he went through training or not. But but that was the situation, and, and they didn't encourage that because obviously the touch and go is going to be going quite a bit slower because they're going to be on the runway, you know, and, and they're going to have slowed down, and the aircraft doing a low approach isn't going to touch the runway, and they're going to be going faster. And uh, that was the situation. It was with, um, I think it was two T-38s, which are um, fighter-style uh, training aircraft that the Air Force used at the time I don't know if they still use them now but anyways the aircraft uh was doing a low approach the number two aircraft behind that touch and go and um I was working flight data at the time and um that the low approach caught up to the touch and go and um the local or tower controller told that aircraft the the number two aircraft to go around on the right side of the runway and that uh, T-38 went around the left side of the runway and um then when the other aircraft lifted off, that local controller told them to make left traffic. So now they're both going to the left, and um, they they missed each other by probably twenty feet. Uh, it did about a um, it did like one of those uh, initial drops. The aircraft on top had turned, and I actually covered my face because I was waiting for there to be a huge explosion. Um and, and luckily um they have uh, I believe they have TCAS, the traffic collision avoidance system, and it probably went off and that's probably what avoided uh, a catastrophe there. Good grief. That's when it gets really real really quickly. Yeah. Wow.
0: Um okay guys, we really have to get going quickly here. So uh this is there's too much and uh I actually would love to do another atc chat um at some point in the future so we'll we might have to save some of this i apologize guys if i didn't get to your question on IMFG, um but you know we've got people who have to go do air traffic controlling for real pretty soon so um let's just take we'll do um i'll ask another question and then um if you guys want to chime in at all then we can do that before we say goodbye so um Ian actually asked a lot of questions this week. Uh, I I think it was somewhere near 50 or something, but he wanted to make sure that I had no shortage of questions to ask. So thanks, Ian, as always, for uh, chiming in. Um, But so in real life, there's no ghost button, um, obviously. So uh, do you guys have to deal with aircraft that are not following instruction the way we do in Infinite Flight?
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Or they don't want to. Um, I'll answer this and then I, I actually have to head off to work if you guys don't mind. Yep.
3: That's
1: fine. But, um, um, you know, you, you get guys who don't want to slow down or, or want to go fast or they try and bargain with you. Um, you know, and sometimes it's in a rude way and I've, I've posted this up before, but you know, unless there's an emergency, um, really the, the pilot should be listening to you um i've had you know we work um santa barbara area so I, we don't have a flow initiative where we have to give santa barbara approach flow but you really can't pitch them aircraft on top of each other because they only have about 15 miles to the airport once they get them so or maybe i don't know 20 30 they really don't have a lot of room but one guy was just mad that i kept slowing him down and so he said something on frequency, but I was pretty busy at the moment. And really, the way you handle it is, if you want to talk about this on the phone, I'll give you a phone number to the center, and uh, you can speak with my supervisor about it. And usually, you know, like in this case, the I think it, whoever was not talking originally came back and said, "Hey, sorry, it's just been a long day. No problem. Whatever you need, you know." And right. that's usually how it gets, you know, sorted out. Um, that. If you kind of tell them, hey, look, I don't have time for this, you know, usually there's some kind of sorry or whatever. And it's not like we don't make mistakes either. You know, everybody's got tough days, so no hard feelings to anybody.
0: Tristan, uh, Ian wants to know, we've all had uh, we've all heard those angry ground controllers on LiveATC.net uh, and YouTube, <laughs> um, especially at JFK, who are under a lot of stress with uh, pilots not following instructions. There's a couple of classics, but um, people misinterpreting instructions uh you know sometimes we have to deal with language barriers i'm sure especially at a place like uh, jfk um has this ever been the case with
2: with you and and how do you react to that um personally i um i don't want to have you know we know that everything that we say is recorded as a controller and i don't want to actually be that guy that's on youtube um as a controller so um i would if I was frustrated with the situation, I normally would unkey the mic and then I would say what I needed to say to the pilot, uh, where nobody would hear it except the people that I'm working with. Um, but you know, everybody handles it differently, and and for me, I, I don't want to have that um, recorded because uh, you know coworkers can go down to the uh, tape room with their phone and and they can record it right off of the the actual recorders, and then they have it forever.
0: Right, Um, Tyler. You're working as part of really one big team, so I would think that that situation is extremely rare in your case.
3: Right, and um, it's it's pretty disciplined in the military that we really do get held to just that set phraseology from the point sixty five, like Tristan talked about earlier. Um, But just in the past few months, we've actually gotten a new squadron of uh, Afghani training pilots, so that's been just a huge change for us with the cultural barrier and the language barrier. And sometimes, you know, you start sticking to that phraseology and phraseology can be a little bit broken. So sometimes you really just need to drop that and just try to break it down, just speak plain English and and try to get your point across to make things happen. Because, you know, when aircraft are all moving at 300 knots, you don't have time to just keep repeating yourself over and over and over. Sometimes you just, just get straight to the point and make it happen. Mm. Alright, Alexei had
0: some awesome questions, I think we're gonna have to save most of them for next time, but um, this is something actually he asked that I, I was actually really interested in. Um, wh- what is the information that you've got on the flight progress strip? And um, there's all like I said, there's all kinds of other good stuff, but um, what's the maximum that any controller is allowed to have if there's a limit? And I'm assuming that's on the progress strips. and. Tyler, do you use those, or is it a completely different system, um, and is there an IF equivalent?
3: Yeah, we, we've we tried to mimic it some in Infinite Flight, but um, for us, the flight progress strip tells the call sign. It gives uh, the equipment suffix, so what their transponder is uh, equipped with. It gives the type aircraft. It'll say 2 slash. A-10, you know, if it's a flight of two A-10s, it gives their proposed departure time, um, their squawk, their requested altitude, their flight plan, their destination. Um, And then in that big box that's in the middle, uh, Tristan can probably chime in on that part, but that's where they use uh, just to jot down quick notes. So if you tell them climb and maintain 3,000, they'll write, you know, 030 there and then When you tell them to go to 4,000, they'll line through 030 and write 040. So it's kind of a a quick note system for controllers to keep track of instructions and stuff like that.
2: And and there's also a a section on the right-hand side of the strip. Uh, I think it has nine boxes in it, and Mm -hmm. each air traffic facility – uh, usually has a standard operating procedure that, that talks about what those boxes are used for. That You can put check marks in them. You'll put numbers in them. Every, every facility is different, and um, it's just handwritten things that pertain to what the controller's uh, done. So if, just for instance, if the controller was to fall over dead, uh, they've written down everything that's happened, and if somebody, a supervisor was to step up to the position, they could look at that strip and know, everything that's going on and that way it's not just things that were in the controller's head everything's also written down
0: right cool guys there's so much we've left out um again thanks to everybody on IFFG and on the flight cast page that have asked questions I really would love to ask your questions next time so we'll do this again um We also have an air traffic controller as part of our advanced ATC crew named Ming Li, and he was uh, invited, but he's actually jet-setting around the world right now on vacation, Um, and I think he was actually going to see Aladdin today. Um, nice so we're we awesome. really we really missed in many ways on connecting for this interview but uh like i said we had to make a change and you guys have done this last minute so i really really appreciate it um we'll get ming in here next time i think he's a controller in tokyo possibly Can someone- that sounds about right i think that's right um i'm really excited to chat with him because goodness knows there's got to be a lot of differences um on the other side of the world in terms of air traffic control um and of course not having military or FAA um perspective would be awesome. So guys, thanks again. Is there anything else
3: before I let you go that you'd like to uh add our uh, let our listeners know? Uh for me, I just want to say a quick thanks to Michael and Tristan. Um as a new controller for me like starting an in infinite flight, this is maybe in a selfish way, but this is more of a chance for me to stay in the books and learn new stuff. So they've been kind of my go-to guys. You know, I'm a tower guy in the military. That is incredibly far from being an LAX center guy or having the experience of being a supervisor in the military with FAA. So I appreciate it to both of them for kind of showing me some new things and helping me learn along the way. We will
0: get to a
3: lot more Infinite Flight-related stuff. We touched on it today, but
0: there's just so much we could cover and so much I wanted to ask um, that, you know, I apologize if if you guys wanted to hear lots about the game. Uh, It just didn't happen today. So we'll do it another time. We'll have these guys back. Um, Guys, it has been awesome, and uh, I think that just evidence of that is... How much time we've taken to chat, and there's so much more to talk about. so thanks again for joining me today.
1: Uh, thanks for having me on. It was a great time, and uh, you know hope hope you're able to have another one of these sessions in the near future.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I look forward to uh, coming back sometime. Oh, I won't be
0: inviting you, Tristan.
2: Sorry. <laughs> oh well, I was really I just said that to be nice. I didn't actually mean it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tristan's flipping tables over right now. uh thanks, guys. That was Michael Scholin Tristan Hensley, and Tyler Shelton. If you have any more questions for these guys, please leave them in the comments for this episode or the Infinite Flight community forums or on Facebook. Thanks as always for listening. If you haven't already, head over to the App Store or Google Play and download Infinite Flight. Please tell your friends about FlightCast and visit flightcast.audio for more information. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a great review. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash FlightCastAudio and on Twitter at FlightCastAudio. If you have any ideas for FlightCast, please leave them in the comments. FlightCast is brought to you by LinkHouse Media on the web at LinkHouseMedia.com. To cover the fine print, FlightCast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening and happy landings.
2: Tyler didn't pay me enough to uh, say <laughs> this long. I was thinking it was under an hour <laughs> when he told me when he told me what the rate was going to be that I was going to get paid. It was for under an hour. <laughs> okay. Um,
0: no problem. Something for me to add
2: to the end. Uh, that should be deleted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep I'm going to add that to the end to every time you tell me to delete something. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, what was I going to ask? before facebook
3: happened um we're talking about training
0: yeah oh i know
3: okay um
0: crap i should have been ready for the next one that better go on right and yep definitely uh you guys language is good so far i don't have to use my bleep button <laughs> <laughs> I, can I haven't change, had to use it yet <laughs> i can change that if you want all we have to do is invite Joe and then it'll all be down to Yeah, it's game there. over <laughs> uh he's just he's patiently waiting in the wings wish, wishing he could be on the call
3: We can do a a podcast about Kentucky about how Gosh. great their football team is
2: yeah you <laughs> guys can do that one without me you'll get a wake up you know who's more fun more to, morning. you know who's fun to talk to on the phone is Mark because oh, of that man. accent oh and, man and he, you just laugh the, the entire conversation because he has that southern draw it's and great. he always has something smart to say. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: guys realize I'm still recording, right? This is going at the end of the gag uh, for
3: sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, Tristan, I was supposed to ask you uh, from Joe um, oh, about, your, about your car screw
2: up last week. <laughs> why 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 were you supposed to ask me that what was the exact question he said ask tristan about
0: his car screw up last week although i think his language was a bit different
2: (laughs) i don't recall any of that so i won't be able to answer that one (laughs) but if you have any questions (laughs) regarding the uh, seventy-one i'd be more than happy to (laughs) to answer that all right tristan uh
0: tell us how you got involved with the game
2: Let's see. Pause. I got to think about that for a second.
0: Okay. I just, you know, and for your, uh, um, yeah, crap. I'm going to have to start that over. That needs to go at the end. I we got to go do the entire
3: end. podcast again. Thanks. This is terrible.
0: <laughs> Sorry. I'm supposed to be a professional
2: here.
3: Um, what was I, what was I thinking?
2: Your word, oh, your yeah. word usage. Here we go.